Hey there, fantastic humans. Unboxing Humans is brought to you by Sandbox. Sandbox's talent intelligence technology uses intrinsic motivation and purpose to identify who is disengaged from work and how to uniquely re-inspire each team member. Learn more at sandboxtogether.com. My guest this week is Lisa Rangel. Lisa Rangel is the founder and CEO of chameleonresumes.com, the premier executive resume writing firm in joblandingacademy.com, the do-it-yourself career portal. Lisa's mission in life is to continue to make the world a happier place with one fulfilling, well-paying job change at a time using her four-step META job landing system. She has successful clients in over 88 countries and has been featured and quoted in over 200 publications. Well, hello everyone. I am very excited to share my guest today, Lisa Rangel. Lisa is the founder and CEO of ChameleonResumes.com, the premier executive resume writing firm, and JobLandingAcademy.com, the do-it-yourself career portal. Lisa's mission in life is to continue to make the world a happier place with one fulfilling, well-paying job change at a time using her four-step META job landing system. She has successful clients in over 88 countries and has been featured in over 200 publications. You're all in for a real treat today. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Thank you so much for asking me, Danielle. I'm, I'm honored to be here. So today we are talking about reframing rejection, which <laughs> is a topic that many are struggling with in today's job market, whether you're entry level or senior level, rejection is definitely part of the job process and something that everyone faces. And so Lisa, the first thing I really wanted to learn from you is how do you, did you decide to work with clients at the executive level? What was particularly interesting about this group? I, I was a recruiter for 13 years prior to opening Chameleon. Uh, and uh, I m mainly worked with either executives looking to do uh, consulting work, contract work, uh, specifically in the accounting and finance areas where I started, or um, individuals that were looking for, you know, CFO, director of finance, um, you know, director of taxation, basically senior level finance and accounting roles. So um, that's what I grew up on in the recruiting space, so to speak, um, as I got promoted. I oversaw different areas of executive leadership recruitment uh, in different parts of the US. Um, so when I found myself laid off in 2009 uh, and during one of the, you know, also a difficult economic period, I had an influx of, of individuals that, you know, asked me to write their resume. And, and despite having uh, a, a progressive career recruiting and overseeing different offices, I always, you know, no matter how high up I got, people would still come running to me going, can you just tweak this resume? I just got to send it to a client. And, you know, as third party recruiters, we're told we should not be working on resumes because we should be focusing all of our time on, you know, revenue generation because we're all commissioned. But I, I was really good at it and it didn't take me a lot of time to do it. And it made it more, most importantly, it made a difference. So when I started doing my own resume business in 2009 as a, I was burnt out on recruiting and I had this influx of requests. I just started writing them, 
and charging for it. And that was sort of the birth of the business, so to speak. So, and it's been going strong ever since. That is such an interesting story. And <laughs> you know, it's a story that we we definitely, you know, it's echoed today, right? Um, things changed in the market. And so I found something that was interesting to me and I was good at, and I just went out and I started doing it. So you mentioned that changing a little bit on the resume really helped. And I'm curious, what was it that you were seeing? What was that tweak? You know, I mean, we were, as third-party recruiters, we were experts in what our clients, the, the companies that were paying us the fee to find the talent, we were experts in what our clients needed to see. So, you know, it's not so much that I was writing the document in a, in a universal way, but I would write it or tweak it or highlight or move up an achievement or, you know, to what my client paying me a fee if they hired the person wanted to see. And, and so, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. The candidate had to absolutely be interested, qualified, assuming all that happened and they were properly vetted. I would make sure that we would be presenting that candidate in such a way that the client company would see that they should be interviewing this person and it should really be a no brainer. The key now is to write for the human eye I think more than any system because most hires happen through people. That's such an interesting insight. And that's why I love talking to you because you hear over and over from people, you have to write with the keywords because, you know, the system scan it. And, um, you know, that's true, whether it's resume writing or SEO, right on your website. Well, that's exactly, yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, that's a perfect example. I even use that example a lot of times in some of my resume writing trainings. Like I'll say to somebody, okay, say you're looking for an auto mechanic. You go online, you Google, you, uh, you know, go on Bing, whatever search engine you use, you type in some keywords to pull up what you need. And you, you click on a couple of the first ones that come up and you're not going to read the whole entire website before you decide whether you're going to call that mechanic or not, or go visit the mechanic. You, you, you scan, you look for some key things, you look some, for some visual validation, both, you know, graphically and, and, uh, and from the word standpoint, from a typography standpoint, how it's laid out, and you get a vibe, right, if you should keep reading or reach out to them. That's exactly what happens with recruiters that are looking at resume after resume after resume or profile after profile after profile on their screens or on their mobile device or their desktops. They, they scan. They, you know, they're not necessarily reading the entire document. They're looking for visual validation to keep reading. It's such an interesting perspective and, and I love it. I mean, it's so different from what people are saying. So everyone take note, um, <laughs> right, right for humans. <laughs> right for humans. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, why are most people looking to switch roles that you work with? The people that come to us, it, it really runs the gamut from somebody gainfully employed, simply just being proactive and wants to have it ready, almost like you know insurance, so to speak. Um, and they're happy in their role, um, but they just know that it's prudent to be have things ready. And they also want to be ready for when they're passively recruited. If a recruiter calls them, they don't have to scramble to get everything done. Um, so that's like one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is you know someone who lost their job maybe three, six, nine months ago, thought they were going to do it on their own. They really had some traction initially in the beginning. The traction didn't really work out. Now they realize they need help because they're running out of the options that they need and they really need to work. So they'll come to us to sort of accelerate that process that, you know, is already taking them too long. 
Um, and then, you know, we kind of have to help them scramble in a strategic, effective manner to then try to get them working sooner than later. So that, that's sort of the range of reasons. Um, ideally, the, the more proactive somebody can be, uh, the better. But, you know, we're also here when things kind of get unpleasant to help you out of it. So. <laughs> and that might be a good segue into the rejection piece. Um, yeah. I trust that some people in the nine month range might be feeling down about the process. Um, so sort of what, what are the steps? I'm curious about this uh, META meta process that you leverage. Um, our, our meta job landing system it revolves around uh, the marketing documents being the M, effective job landing tactics being the E, our three-step interview process, and advanced salary negotiations. So we, we work with clients through the whole entire job search process. I mean, they can work with us in any piece of it if they have the other parts covered, but typically most clients come to us for all of it. A part of that is, while that's all a technical execution, right, all, that's, all those steps are technical execution, we really start the whole process off with a mindset coaching call. And it's, and, and then the mindset aspect is weaved in through every part of it, frankly, because you're going to, by, by taking a stand in your brand, by taking a stand for what you want to position yourself as, you inadvertently are going to attract some and repel others, right? Or, or get rejected by others once you communicate your story in either a job landing tactic outreach or an interview that you have where you communicate a story, you're gonna either attract what you, what based on what you're saying, or you're gonna repel or get rejected based on what you're saying. And all of that is part of the process to help you find where you belong, in my opinion. Every experience we have gets us closer to where we're supposed to be. I, I definitely resonate with that. And it's true in the startup world too. Oh um, yeah. When you, you wanna be everything to everyone, but uh, as soon as you shed that, right, you're able to actually help your customers in the, in the best way and not everyone is gonna resonate and that's okay, right? Yeah, and, not everyone's your customer and, and that's okay too. You know, it means that you're gonna best serve the people who get you and you get them. Life's too short. <laughs> to really argue with people on philosophical fundamentals, like just go find your people, you know. I'm hearing authenticity. Yeah, I hope so. You and I in the past have talked about the difference between what someone has done and what someone wants to do yes. and bridging that. How does someone communicate that and with that overcome the rejection um, that maybe they, the rejection that maybe they might feel that maybe they shouldn't be doing this thing that they want to be doing since they haven't done it before. I hear that a lot from people. Um, I think as far as marketing yourself, if you have on your resume and your profile a, a predominance of the achievements that you don't want to do anymore, you're going to get called for those achievements because that's, again, people are searching, they're looking, you're going to come up in those searches, they're going to read and go, oh, this is my person. And when they call you, you're going to be like, I don't want that job. Right. So I think part of it is letting go what was comfortable to rely on um, in some ways or and or reframing it in a way that pulls out maybe a transferable skill for what you want to do. If you want to change something about what you've done before, you have to rebrand yourself, showing the achievements and the past track record of how what you've done either directly or in a transferable manner is suitable 
to what you want to now do. And that's the intersection of what you can do and what you want to do and what you love doing. Exactly. It's, it's definitely, no matter where you're at on the experience spectrum, it's a matter of rebranding yourself to show your transferable or direct skills of what you want to do. You know, we talk about this episode being reframe rejection. Is that the reframe part of rejection? You know, I, I think so. I mean, I could tell you, you know, Chameleon was born out of me being laid off and being laid off as a breadwinner. And my husband was a stay-at-home dad with our kids at the time. I was like, okay, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it was, it, but it allowed me to build Chameleon with no debt because I had no debt to tap. To tap. <laughs> and I didn't want to put it on credit cards, you know, and I was able to thankfully just sell and spend what I made, sell and spend what I made until it got to a point where I was able to pay myself. That's the, I think that's the reframe a lot of times is where is this going to go? And I, and when I ask potential clients, a lot of times, even, and, and then once they become clients, the same question, like think of most of the best things you've ever had in your life. They tend to come from some sort of adversity, either directly or, or, you know, transgentally, you know, a few steps before. Right. And, and it's that negative experience that put you on a path to now have, you know, the thing that's bringing you joy now, right? So I think that that's what people have to remember, that this is often what, it's just part of the path. When one door closes, another one opens. Yeah, all the cheesy things are true, man. You know, that's the thing. Like, the, you know, all the cheesy sayings are kind of true. <laughs> so we've talked a lot about the candidate side. And I'm wondering if we switch gears a little bit and talk about organizations and mm -hmm. uh, how they hire, because today, you know, a headline over and over in the news is organizations are struggling to find top talent. Um, and then they deal with their own type of rejection, which is a candidate uh, receiving the offer and declining it. Um, and so I'm wondering, I guess on the first side, what are some of the biggest reasons that you see candidates turning down opportunities. The, the pandemic changed all of us on some level, either deeply or, or you know, uh, even superficially, right? I mean, it, it, we've all changed on some degree. And we were also, I think, we all learned that if we don't have our health and even a degree of happiness, not that we're all going to be happy all the time, right? But like a degree of happiness, that um, what's the point? I really believe like hybrid working has is, is long overdue. It, it, I think it was, I've been doing it since 2009 on some level. I've been doing remote work since 2009 to be blunt and even hybrid work from 2006 to 2008. And it, it's, a, you can't compartmentalize life anymore. It's, it's, you know, you can't go to work from these hours and then do family stuff. This, everything is intertwined everything is intertwined and I mean, you can't get healthcare appointments for months out. You have to take off when you, when you, when you have to take off to do them. Same with your family members. Like you have to support your family members, you know, your, your parents, elderly parents, your kids, you got to go with them. It's not always so uh, it's just not very, life isn't compartmentalized anymore. We have devices that keep us tethered 24 hours, even if we do turn them off. Right. So um, life and so if life isn't compartmentalized anymore, those that realize work can't be compartmentalized anymore are going to have more success. And people want offers 
from companies that don't have compartmentalized work cultures and they want to be compensated for it. You know, there used to be prior to COVID, oh, you want to work from home? We're going to cut your pay. That doesn't fly anymore. You know, like talent is talent and how somebody works and where they do it and what their tax structure is based on where they do it shouldn't really affect what the offer is. It's definitely not a simple answer to your question, hence why I'm probably a little long-winded here, but um, but it's complicated and the employers that are recognizing that it's a well overdue change and they're embracing that are the ones getting their offers accepted. Yeah, I, I know. I really appreciate that answer because from the beginning, um, you know, I built Sandbox during the pandemic. And right. so it was never a question in my mind, are we going to have an office? Because we never had an office right. and it was working out just fine. So now my team, I say we're remote, distributed, flexible, yeah. and I'm the only one in New York. Um, and actually, we were able to hire people around the globe. Um, so for a startup to be a global team is incredible. And people say all the time, how does that work with time zones? And I said, that's the flexible part, right? Is that we're not working a nine to five. I right. tell my team, people laugh at me for this, but I tell my team, work when the spirit moves you. Yeah, And um, I can trust that they're doing work because they're doing work that they love, right? And so I'm never concerned, oh, are they doing it? Are they going to get it done? What's happening? I know they're doing it. I know they're getting it done because they actually love it and they're yeah. excited to get it done. Um, and so if we have a meeting, you know, that is off quote working hours, it's not a big deal because people know about that meeting ahead and right. their work life is totally intertwined. They are one person with one life. And work right. as an aspect of that life. Um, and it's it's done wonders for our ability to thrive as a startup, right? And to grow and to innovate. Um, and, and be nimble. And yeah. Absolutely. No, you should be extremely proud of yourself. I'm, I love what you're doing. I totally <laughs> love what you're doing. Well, thank you. And I love the spirit moves you part because, <laughs> you know, I even say with my team, I'm like, you know, if, if I offload an email, and it's two in the morning on a Saturday, like don't, I probably should get better at using that schedule feature, but, um, <laughs> but, but I'm like, I'm just offloading. Like, I almost don't want you to answer me back because neither of us should be talking to anybody at Saturday two in the morning. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just let it sit there, get back to me on Monday. Like, and I'll even start the email like for Monday, <laughs> you know, or for Tuesday or whatever. Right. So um, if it's a holiday weekend, but um and I'll say, you can do the same to me and don't think I'm ignoring you if I don't reply until Monday, because, you know, sometimes you just need to get, get it out. Um, and then, and so I agree with like that, and, but it's, but it's being communicative about that, right? Because if a boss typically does that, then everybody thinks I got to an answer. And, you know, it's about setting the expectation of like, you don't have to answer me. In fact, I really prefer you not to answer me because <laughs> I don't want to be talking to you at two in the morning either on a Saturday. But, um, but, but you got to communicate that and own and boss, you know, leaders, managers, bosses, whatever word you want to use, like have to set that tone of, um, you know, a flat organization that's just communicative and treating people like people and it's not a hierarchy and we all have a job to do and the organizational will suffer if any one of us are not doing our job. Right. So, um, I, I love that. Thank you. It, oh. it is so true. We win and lose as a team. Um, right. and that's me. I tell my team all the time. I said, you know, I hear this from 
uh, friends of mine, you know, uh, and in my meetings with organizations, this concept of, well, we can't have people working from home because how do I know that they're working? And that always really uh, sort of guts me because I said, it's my job as a leader to ensure that my team is working on things that are motivating, interesting, inspiring to them. And if they are not motivated to work, that's not their fault, that's mine. I've done a bad job leading and giving them the right work. Um, and so this whole element of team communication, right? It, it's up to everyone. You know, I have to communicate down and they do have to communicate up and then leveraging the right tools to ensure that I always know what is motivating them, right? And that I'm not just assuming based on their job title. Um, and we talked about, you know, we've talked about that before, the job talent fit, right? Just because um, you have this one job title doesn't mean you love every aspect of that job. Right. I heard that in your story, right? Uh, I really, you really loved the resume writing and you thought that was a really big piece, but you were often pushed to do some other pieces and you saw this opportunity. I know, I know, you know, I, something jumped in my head um, when you said the first part of what you just said about, you know, how do I know they're working if they're not in the office? I like to always flip back to them going, well, how do you know they're working in the office? Like, let's be honest, right? I mean, we've all started jobs and we weren't, we all know we weren't working all the time. We, we were there. <laughs> and frankly, even that CEO who's saying that isn't working the whole time that they're there. So like, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's an illusion, you know, and let's just be transparent and let people be people. And, you know, and it's not a, it's not a time for money thing sometimes, you know, even though people might be paid hourly, it's really like the idea comes when the idea comes or the rush of customers come when the rush of customers come and like, just let, let the result happen, however it needs to happen and just pay people market rate for they, for them to stay. You know, that's, you know, I think what it's simplified, but it's, I do think that works more often than it's not. It's just, we're not, we weren't raised that way. It's, it's, it's mind shift for many, for many people. So. Yeah, that is, it's definitely an important mind shift. And I mean, it's interesting because as humans, we all experience it, right? Oh, this, this really isn't getting done right now. Right. And sitting and staring at it doesn't help. Right. It's, um, getting up sometimes or switching tasks. Yeah, yeah, And Absolutely. that doesn't, if it happens constantly, then maybe we're not motivated by the work or maybe the work is too hard and we don't know where to start, um, which I know from our conversation now I'm thinking about how that applies to your clients that come in, right? Um, I've been trying, I've been trying, but maybe they're just been trying the wrong way. And, right. you know, putting the human back instead of the go, go, go it like a machine. Um, and, and, and acknowledging also, you started to say this in the latter part of your earlier comment is, you know, it's up to us as leaders to make sure the work is engaging. That's also acknowledging that people can't necessarily, not everyone, some can, but not everyone can do the same work for five years, mm-hmm. you know, or 10 years. Like some people can and God bless them. Right. <laughs> but some can't and, and trying to keep them in that role instead of working at a succession plan to get them out of that role, give someone else the opportunity and then have opportunities to retain them, but in an elevated manner, accelerated manner, that's when you start to have retention, you know, but instead 
you have leaders that can be short-sighted that, you know, they will deny promotions or they won't pass them. Oh, we can't promote you because we don't have a refill. Well, whose fault is that? You know, like you don't have a backfill. Well, and that's your problem as a leader. And hopefully that employee realizes it's not their problem. And, you know, they either work with the boss to get a, a reef, a backfill and train their person and take the initiative to, and then show the skills that they have that skill set to be promoted, or they just got to go elsewhere to do it. And, but, you know, good people won't stay stagnant. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and that I should rephrase that because some people are genuinely happy with like the, the road um, tasks and Lord knows we need those done in the world. Um, those are not diminished in any way, shape or form. So I, I may have misspoken there, but, um, but you just have to acknowledge what people need, you know, and whether they need to be in a similar role for, for, you know, a longer period of time or don't like, don't treat everybody the same and don't treat people in a way that only serves the leader. You have to serve the employee if you want them to stick around. As you're talking, I realize that's another layer of rejection, yeah. right? It's not just rejection in terms of applying for the job, but when you're in and you try to, I hate to say pivot because that even sounds too big, but you try to just lean in to what is really interesting to you, what you enjoy right. learning more on, um, and you're told no. And that makes people want to leave right um someone who otherwise would have been really excited to stay um and for no other reason than missing than the leader missing that idea that right. this human could be doing even better work for us in the company and be happier as a person if i let them lean into this other side and right. hey, maybe there's someone else in the organization already who wants right. to lean into the other pieces that this person is less apt to do or less interested in. Well, this has all been really, really interesting, Lisa. And thank you so much. Um, I like to end with just some takeaways and best practices. Sure. I think some of the, the ones that are coming immediately to mind to me are authenticity. Um, it's okay to not be everyone's cup of tea, right? And, and to really position yourself and reframe what's happened in the past as your guiding light into what you really want to be doing and what you'll really excel at. Is there anything else you'd add? And, and not being someone's cup of tea is putting you closer to where you belong, right? It doesn't, it's about reframing it as a positive, right? It means it's, it's, it's information that the direction you were in isn't where you're supposed to be. So just keep looking um, or keep talking to people um, until you find it, or at least take what you've learned from that situation and see how it hones your vision better of where you're supposed to be. And um, so absolutely, I think that that's, I think the key is we all have to realize there's nothing wrong with us, you know, and, and it's a matter of just everybody finding, you know, their people um, for the most part and, and where they're going to thrive and where they maybe think in a, in a value added kind of way, not that everyone should think the same by any means, but you know, because it's 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 more of like the culture ad. Where are you going to be the the ad, and where are you where the where you challenge the situation or challenge what's going on in the organization? Where is that going to be appreciated? And that's I think when we can find that, that's when we're all happiness. We're all happy because just joining something, even if we do feel a little kumbaya and everybody's similar, that gets old after a while, right? Like 
I mean, it, it may feel good in a, for the short term, but long term, we all want to be challenged. We want, you know, to feel new, even if we've been there a while. Um, and that only comes with when we have a, a culture that encourages additions and not just fits. I love that culture ad, not culture fit. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Lisa's information will be in the notes section of the episode. But once again, Lisa is the founder and CEO of chameleonresumes.com and joblandingacademy.com. Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for your time, Danielle. It's been an honor to be here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unboxing Humans. Check out our show notes for more information about our guest. And don't forget to subscribe.